Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. It's so great to worship with you all, and also Child Dedication Sunday is awesome. I love Child Dedication Sunday. Also watching some of the kids, I'm like, oh, I remember my kids doing that. Tenley was just like our little Connor. He was almost folded over double. Uh, I was trying to hold him, and he was trying to grab at people's hair and everything. So it was great. It's, it's like nice to know, like, oh, it's, yeah, all kids are kind of the same. They're kind of that way. It's great. Um, so congratulations to the families. That's, it's wonderful to see that. Let's pray together uh, before the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to join together to fellowship in the Spirit through singing psalms and hymns and songs of praise from the heart that your Holy Spirit has uh, led us to sing praises to you and to you, Jesus. Um, I pray in this space today that we would know uh, that you are in our midst, that you are here, that we would have a recog- that we'd recognize your presence here. I pray as we study your word that you would, by your Holy Spirit, imprint these words on our heart and mind. Let it be not just information we receive, uh, but information that transforms, uh, that we would, we would learn what you want us to learn. So I pray that we would hear your voice and we would recognize the words of your scripture today, and we pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. So... A lot of you probably know that I was in India back in February uh, for a very quick uh, tour in India. And one of the the privileges that I had was I got to speak at a midweek church service, and then I got to speak at a pastor's conference. Uh, So the one was in Delhi, and the other was in a place north of of Delhi. And it was such a great honor to be able to both speak at a church that, uh, you know, primarily they spoke no English, but I had a translator. My translator was fantastic. And then I spoke at a pastor's conference, and same thing, at a translator translator there, and it was such an honor to to do that. But one of the things that was so beautiful to me was when we just got to worship and pray together, and they worshiped in their own language with their own music. Like, we had no idea what they were singing, and uh, we had, like, it wasn't even familiar tunes or anything. It was their own uh, worship that they had written to the Lord, Uh, but it was interesting to me how we could still sense the presence and the move of God in that place. So we don't speak the language, we don't know what they're singing, we don't understand uh, most of what's going on, we're a different culture, but you could very much sense the presence of the Lord in that place. Just as you might have sensed sometimes in church, you feel the presence of the Lord, and you go, wow, this is so beautiful. And so to me it was amazing that without knowing any of the words, we could still sense the presence of the Lord in that place. And that makes perfect sense, because when believers gather together, they form a temple where God's presence dwells. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 
And this is from 1 Corinthians 3. And, the, and this one, in, in chapter 3, the you here is plural in the Greek. So in this text, Paul isn't meaning our individual bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He means in this context that when all the believers are gathered together, they become a temple where God's Spirit dwells. Three chapters later, Paul will say that our individual bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 3, he's saying you together, all of you, so y'all, okay, that's probably y'all together, when you're gathered together, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are each individually a temple, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together, we also form a dwelling place for God's Spirit. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. You are the living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. The Apostle Paul says it another way a little bit later in our text in Ephesians saying, you are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So when we gather as the church body, and this is something that's so key to remember, you're not coming into an organization, you're not coming into a structure, you are forming the spiritual temple where God dwells in our midst. The body of believers known as the church is incredibly important in the eyes of God because we are his dwelling place. And just like pause for a minute to to capture that, that you are the dwelling place of the most holy God. He's chosen to no longer use a temple made of stone, but to dwell within his people by his spirit. So whenever and wherever the church meets, the presence of God is absolutely there in their midst. Whether they meet in a barn or in a field or in a shack or in a beautiful cathedral, the building doesn't matter. And this area we call a sanctuary is just a convenient meeting spot. There's nothing sacred about the building itself, but we are the sacred spaces of God's presence. People are the living stones of God's temple. The people are the temples of God's presence joined together to make a grand temple for the Spirit of God to dwell. When we meet together, each one of us is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord carries the very Spirit of God within. The Spirit of God is a mark of new life and a mark of being God's inheritance. And this just picks up from where we left off last week. That in Christ, we are God's inheritance. And not only are we God's inheritance, but we receive an inheritance from God. And the sign that we belong to God and the sign that we receive an inheritance is the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to pick up basically where we left off last week for in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 13. Paul writes, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? The first understanding about that the sealing of the Holy Spirit is not just an additional experience of the Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is the privilege of all believers. Every believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Scripture says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, we are all sealed with the Holy Spirit. And being sealed, what does it mean to be sealed in the Holy Spirit? Well, being sealed 
If you were to read this in in Ephesus, if you were a first century uh, Gentile believer, if you were to read this, that word sealed, you'd immediately go, that's a mark of ownership. To be sealed by the Holy Spirit is a mark of ownership. So think about, you know, if you were writing a letter, if you were a government official in Rome, and you were writing a letter to another government official, and you wanted that, that person to know that you truly did write this letter, you would at the bottom of it put a little bit of wax, and you'd seal it with your ring, your mark. And that would say you were the owner and the author of this letter. And then you might roll it up and you might also seal the outside of it. And then they would know this is from this governor to this governor. It's a mark of I own this. This is my thing. And it was also somewhat common for slaves in the Roman Empire to be marked or sealed with their master's mark or to carry around something that that showed to whom they belong. So God says he has put his seal in us. The mark of our identity as his child is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Where when you are filled, when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, God says, that's mine. Remember, we talked last week about how we are God's very own possession. We are his inheritance. We are his people. And so the sealing of the Holy Spirit is a sign of God's ownership of his people. But the sealing of the Holy Spirit is also a mark, a sign of God's faithfulness to us. We have security because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When that letter was sealed, it was also a security measure as well, right? As well as a mark of ownership. If that outward seal that they rolled the letter up with and was sealed in wax, if that seal was broken, it meant the letter might have been tampered with. So when you trusted in Christ, God sealed you with his Holy Spirit, making your salvation secure. And no one can break God's seal. We are secure in our salvation, and we are identified as God's own because the Holy Spirit resides within us. No one can steal us away from him. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. So being sealed with the Holy Spirit also shows God's faithfulness to his children. It demonstrates God's steadfast love. It assures us that God will not reject us nor cast us out. Imagine with me a cruel parent who always threatened his child with, if you do that again, I'm going to disown you as my child. If you do that again, I'm going to take you to an orphanage and abandon you. If you don't listen to me, if you don't obey me, if you don't love me, then I will leave you, I will reject you, I'll cast you out. That kind of a a cruel parent undermines any kind of close relationship. A child would never really know what what love is in that environment. But doesn't every loving parent want their child to feel secure in their love? You want your children to know that no matter what they do, your love for them is constant and unchanging. You do not want your love to be, well, if you behave the way I want you to behave, then I'll love you. But if you don't behave the way I want you to behave, then I withhold my love from you. That's, That's not a healthy love. That's a transactional love. But unfortunately, some Christians do believe that God is something like a cruel parent, ready to cast us out the moment we do something wrong, forcing you into love and obedience through threats of abandonment. But that's not true, because God has sealed us with his own spirit. You belong to him, and Jesus says nothing can separate you from his love. The Holy Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. Paul writes, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
And then Paul, Paul goes on and he says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's love is not transactional. God's love is not, well, if you do, 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 then I will love you. It's, I love you. I love you. So our identity in Christ makes us secure in God's love for us and in his plans for us. There is nothing that can snatch us away. There is nothing that can stop his love. And we know this to be true because we've been given the Holy Spirit to reside within us as a seal guaranteeing our identity in Christ. That is a great promise. The Holy Spirit is the seal that secures you in the love of the Father. And our Heavenly Father wants his children to feel secure in his steadfast love. Now we go on in the text and Paul calls the Holy Spirit in us the promised Holy Spirit. And one of the things he means about this is, why is it the promised Holy Spirit? Well, he is referring to the fact that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was promised and prophesied all throughout Scripture. The Holy Spirit has been active, right, ever from before the beginning. The Holy Spirit existed in the triune Godhead, and the Holy Spirit has been active in humanity since history began. But it's only in these days, the days after Jesus ascended to heaven, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all believers. On the day of Pentecost, you'll remember this, the Holy Spirit came in a way it had never, he had never come before. In a way that was promised by God. So on the day of Pentecost, all the believers are gathered in the upper room praying when suddenly there's a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. And what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave the ability. And Peter then recognized that this filling of the Holy Spirit was prophesied and promised he explains to the crowd that gathers, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And of course, Jesus promised his followers the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, but when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. It is best for you that I go away. How many times do you be like, man, wouldn't it be great to just have Jesus walking alongside you? But Jesus says, you don't want me walking alongside you. You want the Holy Spirit living within you. It's better for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And remember, after Jesus is resurrected, just before his ascension, he commands his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I love that Jesus commands them, you cannot go into all the world until the Spirit comes. Because if you go into all the world on your own power, in your own ability, you're probably going to make a mess of it. I mean, just before this, you're like, oh, Jesus, by the way, are you going to restore Israel as its rightful kingdom? And he's like, oh, my goodness, you still don't get it. So he's like, so wait until the Holy Spirit comes, then go into all the world. 
And if you're here for our series through the book of Acts, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is the catalyst moving the church into every area that God wants the church to go into. So as we look back on the words of the prophet Joel and and on the words of Jesus, we see that the Holy Spirit is seen as essential to the life and the growth of the people of the new covenant in Christ. Jesus himself tells us it's better for his disciples if he leaves them, for then the Holy Spirit will come. And we see that the promised Holy Spirit has come. We are sealed by his presence. Can we just like take a moment to appreciate the privilege that we have? That we live in the days of the Holy Spirit? What an incredible gift to be indwelt by the very presence of the Most High God. That he would call us his temples. That he would dwell in us by his Holy Spirit. What a privilege to live in the day where the promise of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. Now we can also read that word, uh, Paul says, the promised Holy Spirit, as not only looking back to the promise that has come to fruition, but we can also read it as a future promise. We could read this as saying, the Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit seals believers in Christ. And Paul, in verse 14, sees this to be the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is the promise of the inheritance to come. The Holy Spirit is the tangible representation of the promise of God that we will have abundant life in Christ now and eternal life with Christ to come. So last week we talked about how we are God's inheritance. We are his chosen people and his treasured possession. God took the Jews and the Gentiles and united them into one people through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So we're God's chosen people. We're his inheritance But now we get to talk about the inheritance we receive. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of promise and is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The inheritance is the promise of an eternal life lived with God, free of sin and free of death and suffering and sorrow. We inherit eternal life, but not only do we inherit eternal life, we get to live as God's sons and daughters. And not only do we get to live as God's sons and daughters, but we get to be co-heirs, rulers with Christ over all creation, which is another crazy thing to say. And I wouldn't say that unless scripture said it, because that sounds wild. That God would take us and not only save us, but then make us his sons and daughters. And not only make us his sons and daughters, but raise us up with Christ and say, you are the co-heirs with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. That's an incredible promise. But the Holy Spirit confirms this to be true. The Holy Spirit is the deposit that guarantees this inheritance. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, I was thinking about this, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. This is an engagement ring, but you know what I mean? It's like a ring on your finger. And whenever you look at an engagement ring, when you're first, when you're about to be married and you give your spouse, well, I'm a man. So when I give my spouse the engagement ring, whenever I see the ring on her finger, it reminds me of the wedding that is to come. And whenever she looks at the ring on her finger, it reminds her of the wedding day that is to come. And so whenever we see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's like looking at an engagement ring and remembering there's a future that is coming. There's something that is coming. When we see the fruit of the Spirit at work in us, when we see the gifts of the Spirit at work, when we experience the love of the Father in profound ways, when we're convicted of sin and righteousness, it's like looking at that engagement ring and knowing as long as that's there, the wedding is coming. And so it would be accurate, I think, to say that the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is like a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Think with me about the fruit of the Spirit. 
Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I'm missing one in there. Gentle? I can't remember. Anyways, I didn't write it down, so I'm missing one in there. But think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you are walking in the joy of the Lord, it's like a foretaste of heaven. When you are self-controlled and when when you have gentleness and kindness and peace within yourself, it's like a, a foretaste of what heaven will be like always. Every time we sense the presence of God in a powerful way, we're getting a taste of what heaven will be like, when his presence will be with us always. Whenever we have a peace that passes understanding, you know, because life is in turmoil, but yet our hearts are strangely at peace, we're experiencing a taste of the peace that will always be present in heaven. And heaven is the place where we'll be fully alive and fully human. And the Holy Spirit is described as the river of life within us. The Holy Spirit brings us to life. Jesus said at at the temple festival, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And we're going to look at this more in more detail next week. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us alive in Christ. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit shows that we're made alive, regenerated in Christ. Truly, we believe that we are born again, that we are new creations in Christ, that somehow the old self was buried with Christ and we've been raised to newness of life with Christ. And this new life is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Scripture says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And Paul explains the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing us spiritual life when he writes to Titus, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's put all of that scripture about the Holy Spirit together. And we can see the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no life in Christ. We simply cannot live the Christian life without the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says it like this, Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, which we couldn't do, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. It's in Romans 7. Understanding the crucial role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is essential to grow in Christ-likeness. And I wish that as a young Christian, I understood this better. I wish that I knew my life in Christ was secure. You ever heard about the people who are like, oh man, I got saved like 19 times when I was a kid. Every time there was an altar call, I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I gotta come forward again. I wish I knew that I was secure. And this scripture tells me I am secure. That in Christ, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's a guarantee and a promise. And I, even more, even more, I wish I knew that living the Christian life was not a matter of my will or my effort, but a matter of submitting to and seeking after the Holy Spirit. I know that sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a, a fear or a resistance to the Holy Spirit. There's a mindset of, well, that all sounds a little bit strange, or that's just a little bit weird. But the witness of Scripture confronts that thinking by repeatedly affirming That a life in Christ is a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is no life in Christ without a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
The Apostle Paul will put it in Ephesians, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's that continually filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is one of the reasons we gather together to sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord is because it's a part of walking in the fullness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us to life and brings life to the church. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is an unchanging fact for those who are in Christ. But we are still encouraged to seek after the fullness of the Spirit in our lives and recognize the need in our church for the Holy Spirit to bring true spiritual life. There is no life without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the river of life. And the reality is that although we are all sealed with the Holy Spirit, we don't always walk in step with the Spirit. The Spirit does not always control us. And we can, Scripture says we can grieve the Spirit by the way we treat one another. And we can quench the Spirit when we treat the Spirit with contempt. And so we acknowledge that the reality of our lives is that it seems to us that the flow of the Holy Spirit is intermittent. Sometimes we have a supernatural peace and other times we don't. Sometimes we feel the presence and the love of God poured out on us. Other days we don't feel it. Some days we feel distant from God. There's times when we experience the power of the Holy Spirit and we're seeing breakthrough over sin, we're gaining maturity in Christ. And then there's days when we struggle and sin that we thought was broken comes back and the, it seems like the flow of the Holy Spirit is intermittent. Now it seems that way, but it's not true. The Holy Spirit is constant and unchanging. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come and he doesn't come and go. It's not because the Spirit comes and goes. It's because our hearts wrestle with our sin nature. Paul says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sin nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sin desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So there's this battle within us until we reach eternity. There's this battle within us to allow the Spirit to have control. And Paul encourages us, let the Spirit have control of your lives. He writes, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And the fact that the Holy Spirit seals us and resides in us means this is, this is primarily about relationship. The only way we can live the Christian life in Christ is if we are in Christ. We can only put off the sin nature because the Holy Spirit enables us to do so. Christianity is not just following a list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Christianity is living out the new life we've received in Christ by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. This is how it works. We join our will with the will of the Holy Spirit for us, and in this way we obey God, not by the letter of the law, but by the power of the Spirit. And when your heart is overflowing with the presence of God's spirit, the actions of your life will reflect that inner reality of your heart. I think sometimes we forget, and this is what I wish I knew as a young Christian, that the Christian life is not a matter of strong self-will and pious devotion, but the Christian life is a reliance on the work of the Holy Spirit and a deep abiding in Jesus, the true vine. See, if there is some struggle in your life, you might be tempted to say to yourself, a Christian ought not to do that. And then you might try really hard to change yourself. 
When I was a young believer, that's what I thought. Okay, God saved me by his grace. Now there's all these things I'm supposed to do and all these things I'm not supposed to do. And when I failed, instead of going to God, I thought I need to clean myself up first before I can go to holy God. If I am unclean, I can't come into God's presence. But the problem with that is I can't clean myself. I can't change myself. I can't will myself to be a better person. I can't work hard enough. The only way to move forward is to run to God, to ask for spiritual power to overcome, to bring your struggles before the Holy Spirit and the throne of Jesus. Unite your desire to be holy with God's power to make you holy. And when you desire to be holy and you bring it to the Lord, and the Lord says, I want you to be holy, now we work together. And so our goal is to be in the flow of the river of life to be overflowing and submitted to the Holy Spirit more often than not. Our goal is to lessen those intermittent times and to walk in step with the Spirit with more regularity and with more steadiness. What we see at the end of verse 14 is that the Holy Spirit is a promise, guaranteeing our inheritance, that there is a day coming when we will have eternal life. And in eternity, we will be fully redeemed. And in the presence of God, there will be no sin nature, no suffering, and no sorrow. We'll have the fullness of God's presence. And although we're not there yet, we can always ask for more of the Holy Spirit's presence. He never leaves us. But his flow in our hearts can be interrupted, quenched, or grieved. And so we can always receive more of the Holy Spirit's presence and life-giving power. That's the promise of God. He's going to pray about this in Ephesians chapter 3 that you would experience the love of, of God, though it's too great to understand fully, that you would see the mighty power at work. I'm going to call the worship team up, and we're going to close with prayer, but we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. But there is encouragement in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be more and more controlled and submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so just pray with me uh, as we close. I'm going to pray over us. And I've actually taken, I've adapted this prayer from uh, T.S. King, uh, a prayer for the church. And I'm just going to pray this over us. Father, thank you for sending the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to teach us and to remind us of the things that Jesus said. Thank you for his presence with us forever. Forgive us, Father, for the times that we resist the Holy Spirit even though we know that he is the one who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Father, we are so thankful that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, that when we don't know what or how we should pray, he intercedes for us in accordance with your will. Father, tenderize our hearts and make us sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you remove any hardness of heart that still remains in us and give us a heart of flesh. Father, we long for the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives in ever-increasing measure and to truly walk in the Spirit. Strengthen us by your Spirit to stand firm against the enemy, to persevere and to do your will. Like the early disciples, may our lives be characterized by fullness of joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus will be seen more clearly in us. Holy Spirit, rain down on us. Fill us afresh and anew. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Let's worship together.